Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another lovely day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Chris Barker, Chief Executive Officer of Spirit Healthcare. Spirit Healthcare aims to improve efficiency across the healthcare system. Chris, hello. Hello. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, Thank you. Uh, So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, So from my perspective, the word leader is is about looking up someone who is striving to improve and help and build Mm -hmm. um, and create um, an aspiring vision that, that encourages people to follow with passion. And what would you say your personal leadership style is? Um, <laughs> a tricky question to ask myself. So, um, so from a personal perspective, um, I, I would like to think I'm a collaborative leader. So, um, I work particularly well with a with a team of individuals that complement my many many weaknesses. Um, and so, from my perspective, I would collaborate wholeheartedly with them to gain expertise, um, understanding, and then together strive the best way forward. And of course, it is important to uh, to know your weaknesses uh, as as a member of the team and as a leader. Uh, one of the weaknesses that teams always have is, unfortunately, they're humans. Uh, now, humans obviously <laughs> can be rather difficult to deal with. What's the greatest challenge in leading humans? What's the latest challenge and greatest challenge in leading humans? Um, so, I, I think that um, so I, my answer is perception. Um, so that you can, uh, when it comes to working with humans, you you can go for exactly the same scenario. Um, and no matter how many people in the room, each person will have their own perception of exactly what happened. Uh, and sometimes there's the same number of perceptions as people in the room, and sometimes there's perhaps more on occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, understanding as a leader and how to engage with those different people and their different perception of what's happened and, and what might happen going forward makes that a particular challenge. Now, how do you handle when the lines of communications have become crossed and uh, your team members are in disagreement? How do you diffuse this situation? Um, so, uh, uh, so honesty, um, taking a step backwards until you get to a point of commonality and a point of agreement, a point of, um, and then reaffirming around what we're trying to achieve and what we're striving towards. So from a spirit perspective, yeah, we, we very much have a common goal that we're looking to go and achieve and actually refocusing on that goal rather than on what makes us different can, can be really useful at times of conflict. Now, let's go back uh, to the beginning. When you were first starting out in your career, was there a particular individual who inspired you to become the leader you are today? I'm not sure I'm a good leader yet. I'm still working on it. But um, yes, so I had one of the most amazing managers in my first job, um, who also by, so she was a a first-line line line manager, but she was one of the best leaders that I have ever worked under. Um, And she went on to the dizzy heights of a vice president's role in a big American corporation years after I knew her. Uh, So yes, uh, she was... um, both an inspiration for me in starting my career, but also in, in, in keeping me on the straight and narrow at various points throughout it. It's important to have that mentor-mentee uh, relationship early on in a career. Do you have yep. any mentees in, in your company? 
uh, yeah, absolutely. We um, uh, we're actually one of the projects that I'm working on currently is we've got six what we're called aspiring leaders um, that we are working on developing to be leaders of the future. So they're people that are in um, relatively new positions, quite junior in the company and new to the company, but we we have identified as having the potential for the future, and we're working with them around development and mentorship, um, which has been done by myself personally. And what is the advice that you give uh, to these young people when they're first starting out their careers? Oh, God, I'm not sure I'd give that advice. Um, so if I could give one bit of advice, um, it would be pursue what you find enjoyable and fun because typically the things that you find enjoyable and fun are the things that you are brilliant at. Um, and from a spirit perspective, my job at least is to find people that are brilliant um, and that can be brilliant in the future. So see what you enjoy. Well, why don't we take this to a much larger scale? If I pressed you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? So I'm going to pick a really controversial choice, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I think at some point it perhaps didn't work out quite so positively. Um, but I would probably pick Bill Clinton. Um, right. So the U.S. president, um, uh, primarily because he became president um, whilst not being part of one of the uh, more traditional American families at the time. Um, and I would pick him and, and then subsequently probably his wife, which might be even less popular, um, because they came from a background where essentially through networking, collaboration and pure leadership um, got to the pinnacle of the U.S. political system. Well, let's talk about Bill for a moment, then we move on to Hillary. Uh, But with Bill's leadership style, um, uh, what would you say was successful about it and what was flawed? Um, So I think from a successful perspective, his ability to communicate effectively, his ability to get people to believe passionately in his course and in the the vision that he had. So what he was trying to work on was was the successful part. what was flawed is probably harder to comment on um, because I have never been fortunate enough to meet him personally. Um, but the uh, certainly at some point, uh, personal indiscretions and the ability to be directly honest about those um, were were ultimately um, and where that for me was flawed. Um, so, yeah, in my organisation and the way that I work. Honesty is is absolutely vitally important, mm-hmm. and at a key moment in his career, he was simply not honest. Now, moving on to Mrs. Clinton, uh, a, a rather contentious uh, figure. Um, <laughs> whereas uh, Bill had the charisma, uh, Hillary had the ambition. Um, yep. What would you say were her leadership strengths? Um, so, <laughs> I think her leadership strengths. Uh, was, was hanging in there um, and staying committed to her cause uh, to an extent, almost uh, to a cause she passionately believed in, almost at any cost. Um, and I think tenaciousness and and you know, the, the, the staying power are are really important, uh, both as as a leader and also as a as a member of any team. Now there are there are some that will argue that Hillary's real cause is is Hillary um, and that she's very dedicated to that but uh, to those people what would you say um, what would I say um, so I I would say to an extent that I wouldn't disagree with them 
Um, so therefore, to an extent, I agree. Um, but I, and I think in most good leaders, there there is probably an element of ego in there as well, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that self-centeredness. And I think really successful leaders can manage to combine that you know, personal sense of, of of passion and enthusiasm with a greater cause. Um, yeah, so so yeah. In my case, I, I don't. But my colleagues and, and friends would say that I had an ego and that that was yeah, a sense of personal satisfaction that I wanted. Mm-hmm. But in getting to combine that with healthcare and helping patients and, uh, and improving the NHS, that means that that personal ego is, is also um, of a greater good as well. Well, an ego is not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's not too big. Uh, an ego can help <laughs> motivate and drive you uh, to get things done. Uh, and to support your team. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that we're lacking on at the moment is time. Our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Spirit Healthcare? Um, so um, I'm looking to work um, for a really fast-growing healthcare company. So if I look at the things that are in store for us in the next 12 months, one, we're getting lots of new team members on board. Um, two, we are launching the latest version of our digital solutions in the NHS, which can help improve the care of people with long-term conditions um, and have proven to reduce unplanned hospital admissions by about 67%. Um, and we're also launching our new service to reduce the cost of medicines um, in the NHS, which could save, um, hopefully in the next five years, over a billion pounds. Well, that's absolutely laudable. I, I do hope that you come back on the show in the very near future to uh, bring us up to speed on what's uh, what is going on in your neck of the woods. Chris, uh, it's it been an be absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Chris Barker, Chief Executive of Spirit Healthcare. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate uh, 
uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, 
but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said, the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City... 
then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened, who knows, something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour... You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 people, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her... One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle, not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them, but get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people 
but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they... they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020... Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, 
it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good so i think there are dangers but i think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world sheffield wednesday god help me i mean you know how is it that two of the things that are most important to me other than my family and loved ones is football and, and politics I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard pressed now to get into the playoffs if we do I think we could pull it off but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction your reputation will be judged Lord Blunkett thank you very much for joining us God today God bless you Jonathan <laughs> this has been the Leaders Council podcast thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.